Stand, if you would, now for the reading of the Word. We're in Psalms. We're in Psalm 107 for the second Sunday, a very long and beautiful lyric poem to be sung in the congregation, actually, and probably with an, an uh, antiphonal choir, one on one side and one on the other, singing back and forth to one another, probably. We're not sure of that, but that seems to be the way this psalm was handled in the Old Covenant. We're looking at the portion of it that begins in verse 23. Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, His wondrous works in the deep. For He commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and He delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and He brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of men. Let them extol Him in the congregation of the people, and praise Him in the assembly of the elders. The Word of the Lord. You may be seated. In this psalm, as we looked at it last week, the overall theme is, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. What this psalm is calling for is your personal testimony. And it's calling for your personal testimony, not just in the privacy of your own home, but in secret and in society, as the old Puritan Dixon said in his commentary. You are to tell the story of rescue, the redemption that the Lord has brought to your life. And you're to tell it, as our text says here, in the assembly of the congregation. So not only in secret, but in society. Now, it doesn't mean you have to stand up here at the pulpit and give a testimony. Now, when I was a kid growing up in the Baptist church, we'd have testimony time. And the preacher would say, is there any, and usually it was during the song service, he would say, is there anyone here have a special testimony? And sometimes it would be like popcorn. One would rise here, one there, and one would go a little too long, and you know, just and they would give a testimony of what the Lord had done, some healing, some answer to prayer, salvation of some relative, or maybe some distress that they were in. Some would even just talk about how the Lord had been good to them all their lives. And some would give testimony of recent conversion. They had heard the gospel, but it had never reached them in the depth of their soul, and now they believed as never before. You can imagine the variety of testimonies that we would hear. And it would be really good to hear the testimonies of others. And that's really what it says. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let them give their testimony in the assembly of the congregation and in the assembly of the elders. Now in the other services, as you'll see with all this setup down here, now we're going to have the ordination and installation of our officers, elders and deacons. And 
It is important to know that the testimonies that the people give are a strength and an encouragement to the elders. The Bible teaches us that part of the office of elder, and by the way, did you know that God always leads his people through elders? Did you know all of God's people down through the years have been Presbyterian? Oh, I can back that up with scripture. God has always led his people through elders. The elders of the old tribes, the elders of the congregation of Israel, the elders in the early church, God always works through the leadership of the men of his people who are the senior, the spiritual, and the sensitive. And he calls those men to special office, and that is office of the elders. And to let them hear your story of rescue. They know their story. They know what they strive to do in ministering to you. But it is so encouraging for them to hear your story. I've told this several times before over the last few years, but there was a man in our church, if I called his name, everybody here would know him. Quite elderly, made it well into his 90s. Toward the last couple of years of his life, he became very hard of hearing. And he would come to church and he just couldn't hear anything. And at first it was slight and we tried to help him, you know, with the, uh, the equipment we have to hear, but he couldn't hear very well. And finally, after a while, I was visiting with him one time and he said, you know, Ron, I just, I just can't go to church because I can't hear. I can't hear a thing. And I said to him, calling his name, <laughs> I said, what do you need to hear? What hymn? that we'll sing that you don't know by heart. And by the way, he had a musical talent and had used it through the years. I said, what scripture are we going to read that you don't already know by heart or have read in the scriptures yourself? This was back when Skip was pastor, so I could say this. What's Skip going to say that you don't already know? <laughs> and maybe a few things, but you know, I said... You're not going to get anything auditorily out of the sermon and out of the service, perhaps. But here's what you're going to do. You're going to be standing in the congregation. And there's a 10-year-old boy somewhere in the congregation. There's a 16-year-old girl. There's a 25-year-old young mother. There's a young elder that are going to look over it. And I started to point where he said all the time. They're going to point over there to where you're standing and they're going to see you standing there, solid gray hair, in your 90s. And that's a testimony. That's a witness. You don't need to come to church in order to hear. You need to come to church to be seen. There needs to be an example of a man, and I knew this to be true of him, who had lived his whole life a godly and a very devout and, and, and ministering, serving lifetime. And that's the way it is. There's something about in the congregation when we give our testimony and when we see one another. It's a testimony to the Lord that you're here today. I was visiting in the hospital this week with a man, very dear, wonderful man who, who is not able to come because of illness. And he's missed quite a few Sundays over the last few months. And he was talking to me about that. And he watches the live streaming of the service. And he uh, mentioned to me that how much he misses being here. 
And he longs for the day, and it should be if the Lord raises him up, and I believe he will, he'll be back in the congregation again. There's something about giving live witness to the power of God. But before that, it gives witness also to your helplessness, your inability, your incapacity to know that there's been a place in your life and a time in your life and maybe more than once and maybe over and over where the Lord has raised you up. He's delivered you. He has saved you. He has done something for you that needed to be done. Now there's four instances in this psalm. We looked at one last week and that's the instance of the wanderer, the one who is lost in the desert and in the wilderness and doesn't have a way and finally cries out to the Lord in desperation in his lost estate, calls upon the Lord. And the Lord hears that cry, that strong, audible, desperate, plaintive cry, and answers the prayer and says, he brings them to a straight way. Of course, that way is Christ. There's another instance that's given that we have not considered and probably will not. And that's those that are imprisoned those that are in darkness, those that are shackled. If, if, if it is lost being wandering out there where you can go anywhere you want in a desert, if that's a desolate place, imagine what it's like when you're bound. You're in a thraldom of some prison and are not able to move scarcely but a few inches. That too is a place of bondage and darkness and despair. And people like in that condition, have you ever been in that condition? will call upon the Lord and he rescues, he saves, he delivers them, he breaks the shackles and he gives them the freedom of the grace of God. I love the way it says, he brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death. If you're looking for Christ in that passage, there he is. They brought him out of darkness, he's the light of the world. He brought them out of death, he's the resurrection and the life. The third instance that's mentioned here is an some were fools through their sinful ways and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. Sick, sick even to death, serious illness, potentially fatal illness. And the Lord, they cried to the Lord and he delivered them from their distress. He said he sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. So these people ought to praise the Lord too in the congregation. And then it comes to the fourth instance, which is the one we look at this morning. And it is one that is familiar to you, I think. It said, some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. And what's interesting about this is technically the Hebrew people, the Israelites of old were not seafaring people. They lived on the shores of the Mediterranean, but they were not the ones that went down to the sea and the ship very often. Uh, they, they depended upon the Phoenicians and to some extent the Philistines who occupied the coastline up and down that land of Palestine. And they would go to the sea. Over and over in the Bible, the sea is seen as a place of mystery, a place of darkness. It's sometimes seen as a place of of, of, of abiding fear. There's a sense in which the Israelite people were kind of like me. They were afraid of the high seas. I have no 
desire to take a long, long, long cruise across an ocean. I greatly admire Columbus who sailed the ocean blue. I greatly admire my dad who went around and around the world several times during World War II and, and with the Marines and the Navy. But going down to the sea in ships, doing great business. This is the trade. This is the merchant. This is the shipping. And this is before the days of Lloyd's of London when taking a shipload of cargo with a seaworthy crew upon a cruise to Tarshish or to someplace like was a very risky venture. If you wanted to really end it all and get away from it all, you'd take one of those voyages. Witness Jonah. It was a place where this would happen. Great positive thing and a great negative thing. The great positive thing is that you would see the wonders of the Lord. A large portion of the immensity and the intricacy and the brilliance of God's creation is found in the ocean, in the sea. You see things in the sea that you'd never see on dry land. If you've ever been to the World Aquarium or other great aquaria where you see this incredible array of all kinds of sea animals, marvelous things to witness the creation of the Lord. Only the sailors, only those that are willing to take that chance get to see that. But there's also, in addition to great reward on the positive side, there's great risk. And here it is. This is what happens. He commanded and raised the stormy wind which lifted up the waves of the sea. Storm. In comes the gale, the breeze, which turns into a raging, violent wind, a storm that whips up the waves of the deep, that whips up the, the, uh, the crest of the wave that laps over into the boat. And it says here, it says, he mounted up to heaven, the wave carrying the little boat or the ship up as high as you could possibly imagine, and then moving out and dropping the boat again. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. Evil here means not moral evil, but natural evil. What seems to be just the forces of nature at work. Like the rain, it comes to the just and the unjust alike. It befalls all and everyone. And this is life. It's talking about people in a storm at sea in a boat. But it really may be talking about all of us who in a way are in the same boat. This is the vicissitudes of life, the ups, the downs, the ins, and the outs. That which is random, seemingly unpredictable. The agains, oh no, not again. Or here we go again. Is there something in your life that's like that? That raises you up and brings you down? And after a while, what it does is it has a corrosive effect. And it may not take very long, but it erodes. It melts courage. Hope diminishes 
and disappears. Courage disappears. Fears arise and paralyze. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men. It wasn't because they were drunk. It's because there was no place to stand. There was no place to get a grip. Tossed about. And they were at their wit's end. They had finally come to the end of their seafaring skills. Most of us have seafaring skills. We know how to cope. We know how to get along. We know how to make it through. There are certain abilities that are native to us in our wonderful creation. We are made to adapt. But even that has its terminus. Even that comes to an end. Where we find ourselves in that place where they don't know what to do and we don't know what to do to find out what to do. We don't know who to ask. There's really seems to be no place to grasp for any resource. We've come to the end of our ability and the end of our wits. They cried to the Lord in their trouble and He delivered them from their distress. There's that refrain that has appeared over and over in this, in this psalm. Crying, of course, as I said, is to call out with a loud and an audible voice. It is to be a desperate cry. It is a cry that is a plaintive cry. But it comes from the depths of the soul. In fact, it well may be that you're crying out to the Lord before you even know it. You're calling upon the name of the Lord viscerally before you are cerebrally. Because there's something about you know that if He don't help, if He does not save, if He does not deliver, you are lost at sea. You are lost and destroyed. You are in the gravest of peril. Now verse 29, it says, He delivered them. We've seen how the deliverance comes. It comes by way of healing. It comes by way of, of uh, direction. But in this case, it comes by way of the Lord dealing not with you, but with the storm. He handles the exterior. I wonder if you noticed when we read that, said, for he commanded and raised the stormy wind. Did you notice that? It didn't say that it came up by just sheer natural causes, which is what we apparently believe. God brought that storm upon your life. And I wasn't one bit surprised when I read Spurgeon and Calvin <laughs> in preparation for this. And they both just got to that immediately. The sovereignty of God. 
The Lord told the prophet, I bring calamity. There's a lot of pulpits that won't preach that. There's a lot of Christians that don't believe that. That God is in charge so much of all things and controls all things to the extent that even when the bad things come, they come by His divine providence. They're dark providences. They're cloudy providences. But they come because overall God is working a good purpose, as we well know. And so often the only thing that will bring you to where you need to be spiritually in the ups and downs, the in and outs, and the agains of your life is for you to finally reach a point where you're right up against it and it won't move. And there you are. And God steps in. He brought the storm. But then listen to what He says. He made the storm be still. Listen to the parallelism in the record. The waves of the sea were hushed. The raging wind becomes a subdued zephyr. The rolling waves and the cresting, spilling, overflowing waves become as placid and as smooth as a sea of glass. Verse 30, then they were glad that the waters were quiet. And it's an interesting thing, and you'll look at your footnote in your New English Bible, and it says there where it says waters, in the Hebrew, that word is they. In other words, it would read like this. Then they were glad that they were quiet. It wasn't just that they were glad that the sea had calmed and that the storm had ceased and that it was hushed. It wasn't just that the outside environment had been acted upon by the divine hand of God, but it was that they themselves had been quieted. They had been brought to that peace and that rest. And the rest of verse 30 says, And they were glad that they were quiet, and He brought them to their desired haven. You're looking for Christ in that, that verse? That's Him. The desired haven. The experience that is described here actually happened, you remember, to Jesus and the disciples. All four Gospels have the account of Jesus in the boat with the disciples on the stormy Galilee and the winds were raging and the boat was filling up and there was terror in their hearts and they were afraid. And while the storm was raging, Jesus was asleep in the boat. He wasn't active, he wasn't teaching, he wasn't preaching, he wasn't driving the boat, steering in any way, he was not commanding, he was not teaching in any way, he was not in charge, he was sleeping. Well, if I was a preacher, I'd mention that that's what happens in our lives. When the storm is raging, sometimes we've let the Lord sleep. We've just left Him there. We haven't called on Him. We haven't encouraged Him in any way. We've not come to Him. We've not sought Him. But the disciples, when they got to that point, when the courage had melted and the fear was at its peak, they went down to the stern of the boat, one of the, the uh, 
account says, and they woke him up. And when the Lord is called on, when you wake up the Lord and He steps to the fore in your life, things change. And He said, peace be still to the waves. And another one of those accounts in the Gospels had an interesting thing. It said, they feared Him. Their fear went from the storm and their dangerous plight to Him. What manner of this, man is this that the winds and the waves obey Him? Their perspective had changed. They were not marveling. They were not horrified at the storm. They were now in awe and worship and respect of Jesus Christ. He is that haven of rest. And there's an old song that you've all heard. I've sung it all my life. I love it. Songwriter says, My soul in sad exile was out on life's sea, so burdened with sin and distress, till I heard a sweet voice saying, Make me your choice. And I entered the haven of rest. I yielded myself to his tender embrace, by faith taking hold of the word. My fetters fell off and I anchored my soul. The haven of rest is my Lord. And then he offers the invitation, Oh, come to the Savior, he patiently waits to save by his power divine. Come, anchor your soul in the haven of rest and say, my beloved is mine. I've anchored my soul in the haven of rest. I'll sail the wide seas no more. The tempest may sweep o'er the wild stormy deep. In Jesus I'm safe evermore. Amen.